0: Good morning. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 116. But before we look there, let me make a few introductory comments. I was originally planning to consider today the next two verses in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, which have to do with Enoch and faith. And one of the interesting questions that The character Enoch raises is what happened to him when he went to heaven? Well, then I was thinking about that we can ask the same question about those that have recently died, people that we know. If I look around this room, I can think of... uh, uh, I can think of grandparents and parents and children and spouses and brothers and sisters that have passed in just recent days uh, from the life of different people here in our church family, the most, recently, uh, being, uh, the most recent one being Miss Dorothy just a few days ago. And so uh, I was asking myself the, these questions, and it's what I want to talk to you about this morning. What has happened to them? What are they experiencing now? What will be my experience and your experience someday when we we approach the hour of our death? So I would like to postpone Enoch uh, to another time and consider this morning and this evening what the Bible teaches about the intermediate state. And what do I mean by the intermediate state? The intermediate state is that period of time between the moment of our death and the resurrection of our bodies on the last day. Someday, the last day will come. Someday, Christ will come back. Someday, there will be a resurrection from the dead, and the souls of all the dead will be united with the new body. The return of Christ, the restoration of this world into a new heavens and a new earth, and the resurrection of our bodies are the great hope that we have as Christians. These things are the focus of history. These things will fulfill the purposes of God for this world. These things will usher in the way that things will be forever and ever, ages without end. But when we die, we do not enter into that final state yet. The resurrection still will be in the future. It could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years, it could be decades, it could be centuries before Christ returns. We simply don't know, Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. The thing that is of immediate interest and concern to us is the question, what will happen to me immediately at my death? Which is not the same thing as considering the final state of things and the resurrection of the dead on the last day. What will I experience the moment that I die? And for those that we know and love who have recently passed from this earthly life, what are they experiencing now? What is it like for them right now? Now my, pur- my purpose today is not to be morbid, or depressing, or discouraging. I don't like to think about death or to talk about death any more uh, than any of you. It's unpleasant to think about it. It can be frightening to think about it. But it is a reality of life that we will all face either prepared or unprepared. And my purpose is for us to be biblically informed about this subject, to prepare us to approach this intermediate state with faith, And confidence, and to encourage us as we think about those that we love that have gone on before us. My purpose today is to be encouraging, not depressing. So uh, I hope to give every Christian person hope and confidence in the things that we talk about this morning and this evening. Now, this morning, I want us to make some general observations about death and the state that we will enter when we die. This evening, I want to try to give you as much information as I can about the intermediate state itself. What is it like? What can we expect our life to be like when that day comes? My focus tonight will be on the Christian. What is life like for the Christian that has died? It's, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about tonight. I think it's a very fascinating subject to think about. I hope uh, that it will be encouraging and helpful for us as we think about those things together this evening. But this morning I want us to have uh, one particular uh, verse in mind and at the forefront of our thoughts as we think about the death of Christians. And it is Psalm 116, verse 15. And Christian person, I would encourage you to never forget this when you think about your own death or the death of others who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Precious. The word precious means valuable, prized, weighty, precious, rare, splendid. Those are the kind of uh, terms that could be used to translate that Hebrew word precious. It is most often used in the Old Testament to talk about precious, rare, or costly stones or gems. It is used of our Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, where we are told that Christ is a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious corner stone. Listen to me, Christian person. Your death is precious to God. He has a special regard for it, And for you, the recent death of your loved one was precious to God. And why would it be valuable to God? Why would it be prized by God? Why would it be wonderful to him? In your death, God will display his grace in a number of ways. We'll be talking about some of them this morning, many more of them this evening. God does all things for the glory of his grace, and your death will bring glory to God. And it is valuable to him because God has set his love upon you. You matter to God. Each Christian person is uniquely and individually precious to God. It is precious because because God will enter into greater communion and fellowship with you than he has ever done before. The experience of fellowship with God will be greater after we pass from this life than it has ever been in this life. Always keep this in mind. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. He is not indifferent to it or to you in any way. It is precious to him. Now, what is death? I'll remind you that Pastor Justin did a whole series on this. Uh, earlier, uh, and you can get those tapes, and I encourage you to listen to those if you have questions about this, but just briefly just a few comments. What is death? Death is the temporary separation of the soul from the body. It is temporary because all people, Christians and non-Christians alike, saved or lost, will be raised from the dead and united with their bodies on the last day. Some will be Raised to a resurrection of blessing and some to a resurrection of judgment, but we all, every one of us, will be raised up on the last day and united to our new bodies. So, the intermediate state is that period of time between the day of our death and the day of our resurrection, it is temporary. The resurrection, the resurrection from the dead is the big thing. It is what everything is moving toward. It is the final and the real hope. It is the focus of eschatology. That is the doctrine of last things. The scriptures have a lot to say about the final state, but not so much to say about the intermediate state. But the intermediate state is of great interest to us because that is what we will experience the moment that we die. And it is what everyone that we know that has died is experiencing right now. And So naturally we should and do have many questions about it, and rightly so. Now this morning I would like for us to consider two things. Every one of us will die in one of two states. John eight twenty one says, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Each one of us will either die in our sins or we will die in the Lord. There is no other end result one of those two th- things will be true of every one of us. And so, first, let us think briefly about dying in our sin. Turn with me to John chapter 8, if you would. John chapter 8. Look with me at verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We have Christ to thank for everything that is good in our life and everything that is good in the world. Without Him, there is no light, no love, no hope, no peace, no joy. Take him away and everything is darkness. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. If we walk with him, we walk in the light. But if we refuse to follow him, we will be left in complete darkness. Now this is true in this life and it is true uh, in the life to come. Beyond this earthly existence, there is a place where Christ is. Because Christ is there, it is a world of light and love and peace and joy. But beyond this world, there is a place where Christ is not. And because Christ is not there, it is a world of darkness and hate and turmoil and misery. Our verse says there is darkness and there is light. Now, from verses 13 to 20 here in John 8, there is a debate about whether or not Jesus is qualified to speak. Essentially, they're saying to him, that's just your opinion. What you say doesn't matter to me. And let me ask you, is is that not exactly what people are still saying about Jesus even today? If you're not a Christian, that is exactly what you are saying about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just your opinion. It doesn't matter to me. In verse 21, he tells them that they will die in their sin. And then in verse 24, he gets to the heart of the issue. Look at verse 24 with me. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. To die in your sins means to carry your sins into death with you. Imagine a man moving from life into death. He doesn't really understand what's happening. He has no choice in the matter. He can't go back. He is dying in his sins. I want to read you a quotation from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Many of you know who Martin Lloyd-Jones is. He describes it in this way. I'm quoting now from him. He has an awful feeling that he is guilty. Suddenly the whole of his past... Suddenly the whole of his past life flashes in front of him and he sees that it's all wrong. All his life he stifled his conscience, acted against it, kept it down. Suddenly it asserts itself and he feels condemned. Even worse is the fact that he is condemned in the sight of God and under the curse of God against sin. All this comes to him now. He hadn't seen it before, but it's clear to him now. The commandments that he has stifled and kept down begin to speak to him. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and serve him only. And he hasn't done that. There he is dying and it all comes back. He is dying in his sins. He is surrounded by them in the atmosphere of them. That is his position. He glimpses into the future and he sees flashes of hell and torment and misery. He is filled with a sense of remorse and loathing for the things he has done. He hates himself and feels that he has been a fool. He has lived his life without thinking of this. He is going out from the present and into an unknown future. He doesn't know where and nothing he has lived can help him. And there's nothing more tragic than that, to die in your sins. The question is, how can I make sure that this does not happen to me? I know that I will die. How can I be sure that I will not die in my sins? Well, our text tells us again in verse 24 that there is one sin sing- singular that will cause you to die in all of your sins, plural. Our text says, unless you believe that I am He. Unbelief towards Jesus Christ is the one sin that leaves you taking all of your other sins. Into death with you. Unless you believe, you will die in your sins. But turn that around. And you have the great hope of the gospel. Believe in Christ, and you will not die in your sins. Here is a marvelous thing that is true of every person that has faith in Jesus Christ. Christ carried your sins into his death so that you won't have to carry them into yours. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Embrace Him, receive Him, follow Him, and you will not die in your sins. You will instead die in the Lord. Now, let's secondly consider this what it means to die in the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. I to spend the rest of our time this morning considering this verse. Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Now our verse says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Note several things about this statement. First, people who die in the Lord are described as blessed. Christian death is not a curse. It is not a punishment. It is not tragic. It is not a misfortune. It is a blessing. We could translate those words in this way. It's the same word, by the way, that is used in the Beatitudes. We could translate it this way, happy are the dead who die in the Lord. And note that it not only says who die in the Lord, but it says who die in the Lord from now on. Now why does it say that? Why does it say from now on? Well, this is a promise given to all Christians, but especially to those who die the most difficult deaths. In chapter 13, we're told that the world will always be rising itself up against the Christian church. Believers will be persecuted. Verse 7 says that there is a war against the saints. Verse 10 says that at times Christians will be taken captive and many will be slain by the sword. Christians are called to perseverance and endurance and faith at the end of verse 10 back in chapter 13. Here are Christians in severe persecution. John himself is receiving this vision in prison on the Isle of Patmos. The question is, is it worth it to die for following Christ? To be martyred for the faith? Our verse says that it is more than worth it. Happy, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. That is, even in the face of the most terrible life circumstances and hardships. And dear one, if this is true for our brothers and sisters who die horribly for Christ, and some are doing that even as we speak around this world, we are kind of insulated from it here. We don't feel it. We don't see it all the time. But our brothers and sisters in Christ are dying now around this world. If it is true for our brothers and sisters who die horribly for Christ, how much more for us who live in such relative ease and comfort and do not face such a death? Now, how are we blessed? Well, our verse says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. I suggest that we see three ways in which Uh, We are blessed in this verse. The first blessing we see in the word, so that they may rest from their labors. The word labors is a very strong word. It means intense labor with trouble and toil. This is the sweat of the brow kind of work. Consider a few observations about this word labor. I would suggest to you that hard work is a distinguishing mark of Christians. I have been designated by my family to be the official remover of splinters. Libby, the children, the grandchildren, that's my job. They all come to me for that particular task. I don't know how I got that, but I do. Now, if I were to say that because I remove splinters and use band aids in Neosporum, that I am a doctor, then Brother Mark, who is a doctor, would laugh and rightly so a doctor is someone who has given many years of preparation and practice and hard work to the profession his whole life is taken up with the practice of medicine in the same way a christian is a person who gives himself to following christ just saying you're a christian does not make you a christian any more than saying you're a doctor makes you a doctor the evidence that we are christians is that we do hard work we do labor in our life for Christ. The word labor makes it clear that serving Christ is hard, demanding work. And if we are Christians, we will be giving ourselves to serving Christ. And we will see tonight that we will serve Him in heaven. But there is a great difference. Our text says, so that they may rest from their labors. Remember in Genesis 3 in the garden, as man is cursed for his sin, God says in verses 17 and 18, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat from it all the days of your life, but thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. That is how our work is now. Serving Christ now means difficulty and discouragements and disappointments. But when we pass into the intermediate state, our service will have no hardship. It will not be weary or sweat. Or struggle for us. We we will know the joy and the satisfaction of labor rather than the trial and the frustration of labor. And it will make us happy and blessed to rest from the struggle of our labor. But think about this. There is labor for Christ that can only be done now in this life. The work that we do now is vitally important. Listen to this quotation from a pastor commenting on this verse. The only evangelism you will ever do is the evangelism you are committed to doing right here. The only victories over sin and temptation that you will have are the victories you win in your struggle with sin here. The only children you will teach are the children you teach here. So invest yourself in it. It has eternal significance. And let me pause and say, doesn't that encourage uh, you mothers of small children? Doesn't it encourage you Sunday school teachers uh, to persist in that work? The only children you will teach are the children you teach here. So invest yourself in it. It has eternal significance. Continuing on, he says, the only giving you will release is the giving you release here. The only stand you will ever make for what is true and right is the stand that you will make here. We will have all eternity to rejoice in our victories in Jesus Christ, but only a very short time in which to win them. That's the urgency of the Christian life. That's the urgency of the gospel. Now we see, in the, we see the second blessing in the words, For their deeds follow with them. Note that when Christians enter heaven, their works, are not, that their works are behind them, not in front of them. Christians do not enter into heaven because of good works. We must always remember that our works do not lead the way. Charles Spurgeon said this, speaking of our good deeds. They don't even walk beside you. Do they march at our right hand or at our left hand as subjects of cheering contemplation? No, no. We dare not take them as companions to comfort us. They follow us at our heels. They keep behind us out of sight. And we ourselves, in our desires after holiness, always outmarch them. Spurgeon is is saying that my desire to, to good is To do good is always more than the good I actually do. I am never satisfied with my works. I am never satisfied with my sanctification. My good deeds will certainly not be sufficient to open up heaven for me. But, and it is a big but, God be praised that our works will follow after us into heaven and there will be great reward. We will be happy and blessed because they follow after us. Now, here is something that is truly, truly amazing. Our sins, which are so many and are so great, are erased from the heart and mind of God forever. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more, Hebrews 10, 17. But our deeds, which are so feeble and so few, live on in the mind and heart of God forever and ever. So much so that even a cup of cold water given for Christ's sake will not go without reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Matthew 10. We will be amazed at what Christ will remember and reward. We will be happy and blessed for their deeds follow with them. And finally, and most important, consider the words, Blessed are the dead who died in the Lord. What does it mean to die in the Lord? We're going to talk about that a lot tonight, but let me briefly say a few things. Think about that Christian martyr Suffering and dying for his faith, imprisoned, tortured, the object of hatred and ridicule and pain. Suddenly he awakes in a world of light and love and joy and peace, a world where Christ is. He will be immediately and completely in the Lord. He has died in the Lord. Another Christian enduring the trial of severe disease, treatments that are hard to bear, energy and strength growing weaker, life becoming very limited, suddenly awakes in a world with no pain, no weakness, no suffering, a world where Christ is. He is in the Lord. He has died in the Lord. Whatever hardships we have in our lives, we will be released from them all. You see, no matter how bad your life is or how good your life is, being with Christ is far better. Philippians 1:23. Jesus told a story about two men who died, a rich man who died in his sins, and a poor man named Lazarus who died in the Lord. Their deaths are described this way in Luke chapter 16. The rich man died and was buried. He lifted up his eyes in torment. He was dead, buried torment no comfort but the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side die in your sins and you go into death alone die in the Lord and you are carried into the company and comfort of God's people Abraham's bosom it's called in the King James version I think helped and served by angels there could be no greater difference than these two destinies Now, I want us to close by considering this question. What can I do to die well? How can I prepare for the day when I will enter that intermediate state? What will help me? Let me suggest a few things to you and to myself as well. Very important things for us to think about. First, the key to dying well is to live well. The way to die in the Lord is to live in the Lord. All all of life is a preparation for dying. Live with a clear conscience. Ask yourself seriously, is there anything in my life now that I would not want to be there if I were about to die now? Do not hold on to anything today that you would let go of if you knew you were going to die today. Don't put off spiritual things. Do it now. The road to hell is paved with what? You remember that saying? Good intentions. The things that we think about but we never do. Dear ones, repent and deal with things now. It will be a great help to you then. Deal with them now. It will be a great help and comfort to you then. Secondly, practice dying every day. Luke nine twenty three. If anyone w- would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Living the Christian life involves a kind of dying every day. We have to die to ourselves and live to Christ. We must say no to ourselves and yes to Christ. Again, quoting Charles Spurgeon, he says it this way, No man would find it difficult to die who died every day. He would have practiced it so often that he would only have to die but once more like the singer who has been through the rehearsals and has but to put forth the notes once for all and be done. Practice dying every day. And finally, and by far the most important thing that I know to tell you, the most thing that I know to tell myself is this. When your time to die comes... Forget about everything that you have done for Christ and forget about everything that you have failed to do for Christ. Remember that our text says that our deeds should be behind us and not in front of us. Don't look at the life that you have lived for Christ. Look at the life that Christ has lived for you. Forget about the ministry and service that you have done. Forget about the victories that you may have had in your spiritual life. Forget about whatever good things that you may think that you have done. I tell you, they are not enough. There is no reason for confidence in what you have done. But there is every reason for confidence in what Christ has done. But also forget about your failures. Forget about those sins that so often beset you. Forget about all those things that you are disappointed with yourself about and the things that you are ashamed of. I tell you, they don't matter. The only thing that matters is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus and what He has accomplished on the cross for you. Look at His good and holy life. That is the only life that matters, the life He lived for you. That is what it means to be in Christ. And that is what it means to die in the Lord. Dear ones, let me tell you, Satan will want to remind us of the weakness of our faith and all of our sin. The devil can have a field day with us, telling us all of our failures. But he cannot point to one failure in the Lord Jesus or, in his cross, refuse to look at anything good or bad about yourself, look only to Christ. Your hope does not rest in what you 've done for Christ, but what he but in what He has done for you. Now, I would suggest to you that we need to think that way every day while we 're living don 't we? and certainly we need to think that way in our dying. Remember the words of the hymn in fact i 'm tempted to tell you to say it out loud with me, the words of this hymn. Say it with me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is our hope. You can rest your life, your death, your eternity on the unshakable promises of God in Christ. Romans 10, 13, whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 11, whoever believes in Him Will not be disappointed. May God help us all to understand and to believe and bless us to die in the Lord and not in our sins. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do pray that you would give every one of us the grace to to know and believe and love the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would all have the joy of being blessed in our death, the joy of dying in the Lord and going to be forever with Him. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe and understand and all be saved. Amen. Now, as Janet plays quietly for us, I'd urge you to consider these things. If you're not a Christian... If you're not sure that you would die in the Lord, there is no better time than these quiet moments to go to Christ.